Well, good morning. Uh, it is a great privilege to look into the Word of God with you all today. And as we're continuing our series in the Psalms, uh, today we'll be looking at Psalm 8. So if you would turn there with me now and please stand for the reading scripture. Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You may be seated. Well, as it is summertime, it is a time when many of us are able to get outside and get into some adventures in nature. And maybe some of you have been able to go on trips um, and see different sites and landscapes. I know some of you have been able to make it out to the mountains even. And I know for myself, I enjoy traveling and seeing the different landscapes uh, of our country and seeing things that I don't normally see. And, but it's also great and a blessing to just be able to see the, the sunrises and sunsets the summer mornings and nights, whereas this week brought a couple thunderstorms, it's always captivating to see the power that's, that's contained within them. And as we come to Psalm 8, we see David proclaiming praises to the Lord for the revelation of his glory through creation. Now we, we aren't sure about the historical setting of this psalm, though it is clear that David is writing from an observance of creation and his understanding of who God is. Therefore, some have guessed that it was written earlier in David's life in his days as a shepherd. Uh, but regardless of the time of writing, though, it is a song of praise, acknowledging and worshipping God for His glory revealed in creation. And we must recognize worship as at the heart of this song. It is an overflowing of the awesome wonder that is received from observing creation. And worship encompasses every aspect of our lives because it is an outpouring of what's in our hearts. And everything is done with a motive. And those motives re reveal what is really in our hearts. And as believers... Our ultimate motive should be to praise and glorify God in everything. So whether that's in our work, in our leisure, in the office, or the barn, or the kitchen, or on the golf course, it should be for the glory of God, and our worship should be directed to Him in those things as well. And David shows this in the psalm as he sings, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's the beginning and it's the end of his expressed thoughts. He realizes everything is to the glory of God, and worthy is he to receive all glory. And isn't that what should be in our hearts as well? In our day-to-day -day life, in the things we do, the things we observe, we should seek to be glorifying God in it all. But taking a closer look at Psalm 8, you'll see that it goes in a bit of a cycle. That is, it begins and ends with this, this phrase of worship. Yet in between, David goes on to answer two very important questions. And that is, who is God and what is man? And these questions must be answered by each and every human being at some point in their lives. And the psalmist shows how the second question, what is man, 
cannot be answered without a proper understanding of the first, who is God. And so we see two sections in the psalm. The first explaining who God is and how he has revealed himself to man. And the second being who man is in reflection of God's greatness. And each of these questions are ones that are they're ingrained in the human conscience. Even the second man will have to admit wrestling with them throughout his life. And they may seem like a basic question to some, but it is from these questions that man derives his purpose and the answer dictates where a man finds his value. And most of all, the answer to these questions directly affect the direction of worship. Therefore, we see how the questions who is God and what is man dictate our worship. But we should also recognize that our worship reveals in our hearts. Therefore, it's not strictly a matter of just knowing the answer or the way we know the answer should be, but it's about what is in our hearts, what do we truly believe. And we, it reveals what's in our And as David recognized, he evidently had it as he penned it. And this is verse first in the past, you see, O Lord, how is your name? And thus the idea is just overcome and the man of God is revealed. So going to says, ready. So as we're flowing, and it's a song, it's a song the creator of the universe. Short verse, David communicates proper of God, and as God is all of us, Is your name in all the earth. 
You may be seated. Well, as it is summertime, it is a time when many of us are able to get outside and get into some adventures in nature. And maybe some of you have been able to go on trips um, and see different sites and landscapes. I know some of you have been able to make it out to the mountains even. And I know for myself, I enjoy traveling and seeing the different landscapes uh, of our country and seeing things that I don't normally see. And, but it's also great and a blessing to just be able to see the, the sunrises and sunsets on the summer mornings and nights. Whereas this week brought a couple thunderstorms, it's always captivating to see the power that's, that's contained within them. And as we come to Psalm 8, we see David proclaiming praises to the Lord for the revelation of his glory through creation. Now we, we aren't sure about the historical setting of this psalm, though it is clear that David is writing from an observance of creation and his understanding of who God is. Therefore, some have guessed that it was written earlier in David's life in his days as a shepherd. Uh, but regardless of the time of writing, though, it is a psalm of praise, acknowledging and worshipping God for his glory revealed in creation. And we must recognize worship as at the heart of this psalm. It is an overflowing of the awesome wonder that is received from observing creation. And worship encompasses every aspect, of, and those motives re reveal what is really in our hearts. And as believers, our ultimate motive should be to praise and glorify God in everything. So whether that's in our work, in our leisure, in the office, or the barn, or the kitchen, or on the golf course, it should be for the glory of God, and our worship should be directed to Him in those things as well. And David shows this in the psalm as he sings, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's the beginning and it's the end of his expressed thoughts. He realizes everything is to the glory of God. And worthy is he to receive all glory. And isn't that what should be in our hearts as well? In our day-to-day -day life, in the things we do, the things we've observed, we should seek to be glorifying God in it all. But taking a closer look at Psalm 8, you'll see that it goes in a bit of a cycle. That is, it begins and ends with this, this phrase of worship. Yet in what is man? And these questions must be asked by each and every human being at some point in their lives. And the psalmist should God. And so we said, men cannot be answers explaining who God is and question of God's greatness. And each of these questions are ones that are ingrained in the human conscience. Even the second one will have to admit right. And the second being questions that are purpose. And the answer dictates where the man is a question to some. And it is from these questions that man derives directly affect the dictates where the man finds his value. And most of all, the answer to these questions directly affect the direction and dictates our worship. Therefore, it's not strictly a matter of just knowing the answer or what you would know the power of the Holy Spirit, because He is the only one with the power to pen this song. And this is clear in the first verse in the passion that we see. The idea of the song is just that. David is overcome by the beauty and the majesty of God, which is a which is your name in all the earth. So as we said, David's overflowing with praise to God, and it's a song of Establishes who God is. And even in our days, 
God's glory is too great for human comprehension. And you think of Moses in Exodus 33 when he asked the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. Yet the Lord responded, you should, man shall not see my face and live. So he placed Moses in the cleft of the rock and took him through the bush. Psalm 8, this reverence is demanded through the wonder of creation. And David makes reference to the moon and the stars, which were set in place by the finger of God. It is not a matter of effort that God can make the most wicked and complex parts of creation. It is done with spoken word, as written in Genesis, and he said, just by a mere breath of creation. It is not a matter of effort that God can make the most grand and complex parts of creation, but it was done with spoken word, as written in Genesis, and he said, just by a mere breath he created you. And through this observation, we can use the reason to see how God has revealed in creation as being transcendent, that is, how he's above and over creation. But in contrast to this, David also shows how the Lord is revealed in his image, that is, how he's near to, close, and involved with his creation. So we can seemingly contrast the Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your pillars to still the enemy and the avenger. So though all of creation in its grandeur reveals the glory and magnificence of God, so does the cry of a small child. And if we look at Matthew 21, 15 to 16, the, the author of the gospel quotes it here. He says, But when the chief priests and scribes saw that the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never heard out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? So looking at the context of these verses, the triumphal entry had just taken place, and there was massive crowds shouting praises to Christ. Yet it wasn't the great crowds or the high preachers of the day that put attention to John. So in contrast to the magnificent things such as the moon and the stars that declares the glory of God, it is equally honorable to him to receive it from the mouth of a baby. So we see God's glory reaches above the heavens, but it's also revealed in the most frail parts of it. And through these verses, we can begin to understand just some of the key attributes in the, in the character of God. So we saw the Lord noting his aseity, his authority, and his immutability, his unchangeable nature. We saw the Lord, which referred to him as a king or governor over the earth. And his glory reaches above the heavens, noting his transcendence. Yet it's, he is exalted in the frail, small things of creation, contrasting his imminence as well. And through all the incomprehensible glory that has been revealed to man, David is 
come, and he comes to the realization, what is man? He says, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So notice he, he started by proclaiming truths about God and his glory, but from that, he comes to a realization of mankind and how small and how frail he is. And we must note this angle that David comes at, because many people today, when you ask them who God is, they start with, well, to me, God is. But that is dreadful. We'll start with, well, to me, God is. But that is dreadfully wrong because they're putting their definition of themselves and their own glory first. And this is the same when you ask what the purpose of man is. And that is to make a point apart from a proper understanding of God, the only possible answer is an underwhelming explanation of their own dreams and desires. For the Christian, though, the thinking is reversed. It starts with who God is, and from that we can begin to understand who we are and what we are meant to be. For it's based off what God declared us to be. And this approach is the one shown in the Psalms, as it acknowledges who God is and then looks at man in reflection of that. So David goes on to answer his own question, but recognize the language he uses. Rather than answering it from his own perspective and his own knowledge, he proclaims what God has designated man to be. It says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So in these verses, we first see the nature of man explained, followed by the God-given mandate to have dominion over the earth. And it's an important thing to recognize it comes from God, as we've said. It says, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. And this reminds us that we are just merely stewards. All the blessings that we have come from the hand of God, and it is important to remember that. And it's written, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Now, this can be a confusing verse for some, but the, it's speaking most likely of angels here. And it's primarily because man is bound to a physical body right now while angels are spiritual beings. And we are physical, and that is a good thing, because we are crowned with glory and honor. It says, for, and keep, sorry, but there's an important thing to note in this, because the phrase a little lower can also be interpreted to mean for a little while, and keep that in the back of your minds as we go on. But in the physical body, man is crowned with glory and honor. As the psalmist writes, and speaking of his rule and dominion over the works of God's hands, and all sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, and everything in it. What is the connection the readers make here? Where, where, where did this originate? This brings us back to Genesis, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, and everything in it. What is the connection the readers make here? Where, where is the where did this originate? 
This brings us back to Genesis, back to the garden, where man and woman were created and given dominion over the earth. So flip over to Genesis 1, and we'll read, starting at verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So you see the connection to Psalm 8 here? It's quite obvious that David is writing this psalm with a good understanding of Genesis, seeing how man was crowned with glory and honor, being made in the image of God to rule. And Psalm 8 echoes this original mandate, saying, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. Yet you should be thinking, clearly this is not how it worked out, but how can this be? about Adam, about fallen men. Because it's clear we do not have complete control of the earth. Because there's natural disasters, the tides move as they like, there's disease, there's famine, and many other things that are part of man's control. And we know the reason of this. And that's because of Genesis 3. After the fall, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. So because of Adam's sin, he was unable to rule in the way that God had initially created him to reign. And eventually Adam died and his body decayed. And despite humanity's greatest efforts and innovations, death is a coming reality for us all. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. But then why did David write such an optimistic psalm then, if man's purpose to rule is corrupted by sin? Humans will never overcome the power of death through their own ways, so the mandate will never be able to be completely fulfilled through a fallen human. And David knew this, Yet through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the psalm describing man's rule. Yet, there was a greater meaning to it. One that David may have not been completely aware of. But we have been privileged to see this side of history and part of its fulfillment in the God and Jesus Christ. And this is where the climax of the psalm is found. And the author of Hebrews helps us with this. So if we turn to Hebrews 2, 5-9, of its fulfillment in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And this is where the climax of the psalm is found. And the author of Hebrews helps us with this. So if we turn to Hebrews 2, 5 to 9, we'll read from there now. It says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you were mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while, there it is, a little while, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So when we read this, the author of Hebrews is clearly showing us how Psalm 8 is talking about Jesus. So it is through him that the Adamic curse is reversed and death is destroyed. Christ, the true and better Adam, as we said earlier, son of God and son of man. And Adam, having no father or mother, is referred to as the son of God in Luke 3.38. Yet to an even greater extent is the son of God, as told by the angel in Luke 1.35. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And in, in Hebrews, it tells us that everything will be put in subjection to him. As verse 8 and 9 says, Not only does Christ bring away salvation for fallen humans, but he will fulfill the original mandate given in Genesis to have dominion over the earth. And it is in Christ that the world will one day be ruled with everything being put under his feet. So, between the first and second Adam, there are many comparisons. But it's important to recognize that primarily is a comparison of contrast rather than similarities. It says in 1 Corinthians, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And ultimately, Jesus completed what Adam failed to do. He overcame the curse of death and made a way of salvation for all men. And going to Romans 5, we can see how this was accomplished. Starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free, free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In Adam there is death and condemnation. But in Christ there is life and salvation. And Christ's glory now is the victory he claimed at the cross. And through that he made a way of salvation to those who would receive it. He conquered death and is the only one worthy of all praise. So as we see in Psalm 8, praise is the only proper response. There will be a day when we see Christ with everything under his feet. 
So may we sing that as we look back at what Christ has done, but also as we look forward to the day when everything will be put under his feet. So now that's been a lot of deep theological concepts with the first and second Adam. So you may be thinking, how does this apply to my everyday life? When I go back to my day job, what difference does this make? And first, we should recognize how it shows us how Christ is Lord of all. Therefore, we must submit to him and give our lives to him. That is, surrendering our hearts, our motives, and our plans to him. And it is his name that is to be glorified in everything we do, and we should do just that. And it all comes back to where we started with the idea of worship and how it encompasses everything in our lives. It's not a matter of if we worship, but who we worship. And that is where these ideas become practical. And we need to understand more of the God we serve as he reveals himself to us through his word and through his majesty in creation. So just as David began and ended this song with praise, we should allow praise to be the beginning and ending of everything we do. For that is the purpose of man, to glorify God and that in everything we can say as the whole world will shout one day, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And may that be our proclamation.